So, the next main show is going to be about the Punic Wars, which is one of my favorite topics of all time. And it's going to be fun, I can promise you that. And it's going to be long, I can promise you that. Because I love me some Punic Wars. We're going to have a Punic good time. Having a good time, having a good time. But as I toil away on the main show, and there are a lot more work than you might realize, for instance, I have to read Polybius. And Polybius is great, don't get me wrong, as far as ancient sources go. He's pretty good, but the prose has not aged well. You know how when you go back and watch a movie from the 1980s and it seems really slow in comparison with today's films because social media gave everyone the attention span of a goldfish? Well, Polybius goes back even further than the 1980s. He is slow. So that's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. Anyway, I'm putting in a lot of work, and I'm realizing that not everything can make the main show. Which makes me sad. But then I remembered that I have this forum for exactly this purpose. You guys are all as super keen on history as I am, so I can go off on fun tangents and we'll all enjoy the experience. Think of it more as a director's cut than a cutting room floor. So here's some stuff that won't be making the main show, but I feel is too good to be left out of it. It's some crucial context to the upcoming episode that you can all experience yourselves and exclusive because you're the awesome supporters that you are. So here we go, Punic Wars. The Punic Wars were three major conflicts that occurred between the two major superpowers of their era, Rome and Carthage. And this show, and the one that's going to come soon after, are a bit of backstory for how those two superpowers came about. A bit of extra context that is going to make the actual Punic Wars show make a lot more sense. And some value for your much appreciated dollar. The story of the founding of Carthage is as boring as the founding of most cities. You had the Phoenicians who were an ancient seafaring people and one of the biggest players in the entire world going back to time immemorial. So while you had kingdoms like Egypt and Babylon and Assyria and Sumeria battling it out for the title of king of the ancient world, all of that time there were a people called the Phoenicians who ruled the waves. Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? They weren't a major power in terms of territory or army or any of the usual ancient metrics. If not a nonsense, be something you wish. But they were the absolute best in the world at shipbuilding and sailing, and they kept the ancient world moving. Drop on the deck and flop like a fish. In a line that some of you love and some of you absolutely hate, the bronze must flow. And the Phoenicians kept the bronze flowing. They made their fame and fortune as traders. And if you wanted things moved from one nation to another, the Phoenicians were the people to do it. They may or may not have been the descendants of the infamous sea peoples from the Bronze Age collapse, and that's a theory that I personally subscribe to, but it is hotly contested by actual historians, of which I am not one. Phoenicians were Canaanites, for those of you who know your history and your Old Testament Bible. But that is a can of worms that I am absolutely not opening because we're still disputing today what a Canaanite is and people kind of die because of it. The Phoenicians never really had an established territory. It sort of waxed and waned because it was easier to say that their territory was 
anything covered by water. But Phoenicia itself is considered most of modern-day Lebanon and a little bit of Syria. Their most important cities were Tyre, Sidon, and Byblos, which, if you know your ancient history, you know that they were pretty important cities back in the day. And they're still there today, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Eventually, there were more Phoenicians than these cities could handle, and so people packed up their stuff and went off to form colonies elsewhere in the world. This is how civilization has worked from the very beginning of time. And since the Phoenicians were the best sailors in the world, the list of places that they could go and found new cities was extensive. Way more than anyone else could even dream of back then. Which is how you got Phoenician diaspora all over the ancient world, and not just within spitting distance of the city they originally started in like everyone else. One of the places that looked pretty good to found a city was a section of calm harbour on the coast of what is modern-day Tunisia. So these Phoenician colonists said, yep, that'll do, and they pitched their tents and founded what would eventually become the city of Carthage. And that's pretty much all there is to it. That's the story of the founding of Carthage. Carthage itself means New Tyre. It's like New York or New Amsterdam. I know they're the same city. The founding of cities itself, it's usually pretty boring. There's never a real grand tale as to how a city was founded. It's usually just colonists or refugees going from one place to another place and saying, this looks nice and my feet hurt, this is where we're founding the new city. You do get rare outliers, like Mexico City, which was built because an eagle told them to, and Canberra, which was built in the middle of fucking nowhere at the exact middle ground between Melbourne and Sydney because those two cities could not stop bickering about who should be the capital of Australia, but for the most part, you just put capital cities where they would naturally go. It's sort of an instinctive decision, and that is the actual history of the founding of Carthage, which is boring. The far more awesome story is the myth of how Carthage was founded. And a lot of this comes from the work known as the Aeneid by the poet Virgil, which you should have at least a passing familiarity with, since it is one of the most famous works of literature of all time, the Aeneid by Virgil. And it goes a little something like this. So there was some political instability in the city of Tyre, in modern-day Lebanon, but back then, Phoenicia. And in Tyre, there was something of a civil war amongst the nobility, and people were jockeying to be king, there were assassinations and plots and all that jazz. You know the deal. Ancient intrigue. Seeing that things were about to go very poorly for the ruling family at the time, some of that family made their escape from Tyre in the dead of night, just ahead of their political enemies, escaping the city for realms unknown. We don't know where we're going, but if we stay here, we're going to die, so anywhere is better than here. And one of the people on the run was a princess of Tyre by the name of Dido. No, not Florian Claude de Bonneville Armstrong, the singer, but the mythical figure that she was named after. It's not so bad, it's not so bad. So Dido escapes on a midnight boat going anywhere. 
In some versions of the story, there's a storm, so we're going to go with that. It's a dark and stormy night. There's a storm, and the ship sinks, and everything is bad. Everyone dies, except for our princess Dido, who miraculously survives because she's a princess, and that's how ancient morality stories worked. The exiled princess Dido washes up on the shore of a new continent that she's never even heard of. We know it as Tunisia, but she didn't. It's a mystical and foreign land to her. As she awoke from her wave-induced slumber, Dido was met by a local chief of Berbers, who heard her tale of woe. Politics, assassinations, on the run, shipwreck, washed up here, etc. Oh, and in case you didn't know, Berbers are the nomadic horsemen of northern Africa. They pop up a lot in history, especially in the Punic Wars, and they pop up under different names and at different time periods, but the most common you'll see is either Berber or Numidian. So this Berber chief made Dido an offer. He pities her situation, and instead of killing her, as was the style at the time, he's going to do something to help. And it doesn't seem like much, what he's going to offer, but you have to remember that these people are basically the Fremen from Dune. Their whole idea of a favor was not killing you. You surviving was the favor. Anything on top of that is just gravy. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. This Fremen chief is going to help Dido found a new kingdom. One to rival the capital, Tyre, that she just left, which was one of the biggest cities in the ancient world. And to do that, he's going to help her. He's going to give her some of his land, the land that she just washed up on. Here's a little little something-something to start your new kingdom with. And the deal was that this Berber chief would give Dido as much land as could be encompassed by the hide of an ox. That's the deal. Which, you know, ha-ha, very funny. How much land can you cover with an ox hide? You can't build a house on that, let alone a kingdom. This is Sydney real estate agent level of practical joke going on here. Ha-ha, let's taunt the washed-up girl by saying she can found a kingdom on a rug. Dido, though, she was a canny cat. She decides she's going to game the system. So she did thusly. She took the ox hide that the Berber chief offered her, and she tore it into strips. And then she tied those strips together to make a rope. And then she took that rope, which was apparently quite long, and using that long rope, she made a circle around a strategically important hill. So she used the rope to make a border around an entire hill. And thus, Carthage was born. If there's any truth at all to this story, then the Berber chief involved probably would have just cut off Dido's head for being a smartass, but that's the way that the fable goes. And so we get the founding of the ancient city of Carthage. Dido herself would then go on to bang a prince of Troy by the name of Aeneas, but they broke up when Aeneas said that he couldn't get married because he had to go off and found the city of Rome, because he'd just had a vision of himself doing just that. So this Aeneas cat disappears in the middle of the night and goes off to make Rome happen. Dido, for her part, she did not take this well. She rather fancied Aeneas, 
So she had a bit of a cry, and then when she was done, she decided that the best way forward was to kill herself, as was the style at the time. But before she died, she used all of her magic powers, because apparently she was also a witch, it wasn't really mentioned up until this point, but now she has magic powers, and she used all her magic power to curse not only Aeneas for being a deadbeat dad, but she also cursed all of his bloodline. All descendants of Aeneas were to suffer Dido's eternal wrath. Two of Aeneas's line, distant sons of sons of sons of sons and so on, they happened to be twins, and they befell a misfortune on account of this curse, and they almost died before they were able to turn their lives around and become kings. And their names were Romulus and Remus. You ever heard of them? So yeah, the Roman foundation myth, which the Romans wrote themselves, heavily features their links to Carthage, with the founder of the city of Carthage herself starting the feud between her city and the sons of Aeneas, the Romans. Which seems mighty convenient, considering that the Romans would go on to fight three wars against Carthage, which were not entirely legal, and this is exactly the kind of story that you might make up if you were trying to justify a trans-Mediterranean conflict over the course of nearly a century. But I won't make that accusation here. I'll just heavily insinuate it. And for anyone that's going, "Uh, but no war is legal... You know what I mean. I said legal, not moral. And Rome had a really weird view on what was moral and what wasn't. What's more funky is the unwritten laws of Rome, most maiorum, eventually became the written laws of Rome, the Twelve Tables, and those are the foundations of the laws that we use in the West today. We actually use Roman legal structure. So maybe we shouldn't be so quick to judge the ancients. So quick recap, the founder of Carthage, Dido had an affair with a prince of Troy named Aeneas after he noped out during the Trojan War. But Aeneas has a vision from the gods, as was the style at the time, and the gods said that banging a queen was all good and well, that's a fun thing to do, but he was destined for greater things still. So Aeneas buggers off, because that's his thing, and he jumps on a midnight boat going anywhere. His great destiny was to found the city of Rome, which is a weirdly specific vision to have when you think about it. Hey, you random person from the Levant, you're going to go to Italy and found a city there, but it won't be named after you, it'll be named after your great-great-great-great-great-grandson. Ancient historians weren't too concerned with things like internal consistency. They were a lot more like Ryan Johnson in that regard. And this dude, Aeneas, he has some wacky adventures, and there's a lot of myths about him, and he never actually gets around to founding Rome. He never makes it to Italy. It's kind of like Columbus with America. It was on his to-do list for his entire life, but he never actually ticks that box. But his descendants do, or at least his alleged descendants. The guy never actually existed. And that story gets fucking wild. Because that's the myth of the foundation of Rome. And Romans were crazy, messed up people. But that's another show. And it's a show that I've almost finished writing and recording. Don't worry, it'll be here very soon. 
It just seemed a lot neater to cut the story here and make it into two bits. So, you know, value for money. So I hope you enjoyed a little bit about the history of Carthage. There's some truth in there somewhere, but the legend is a lot more fun, and it gives a bit of crucial context that you're going to appreciate in the coming weeks when I do this series about the Punic Wars, which is going to be an absolute banger. And I'll be back at you real soon with the flip side of this coin, which is the bugfuck wild tale of the founding of Rome. Teaser, there's a magical severed head in it, and that's not even a big part of the story.